are, where we've been, what we've done, and at the cross, Jesus affected the the prescription, the ability to be able to heal us of all the mistakes that we made. And, and I'll be honest with you, this is so powerful because for many of us, we walk through life carrying around shame, guilt, hurt because of mistakes that we've made. Wouldn't it be great if you could call a do-over to go back in time and do things a different way? Let's be honest, we all have regrets, things we've done that weigh us down. But as heavy as you may feel at times, you don't have to live with that shame and burden anymore. Today, Pastor Daniel shared that Jesus came to heal your hurt and relieve you from your guilt. His work on the cross covers you, erasing your mistakes so that you can have a new life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Colossians chapter 2 with a new study called Jesus is the Head of the Body. So we're all aware of the fact that our head actually leads our body wherever the head wants to take our body. It's one of the reasons why uh, first-time parents, we've been that, you know, uh, where you just watch your, your children, especially when your kids first start to walk when they're really little. It's almost like their head is almost as big as their whole body. And you could see when they're learning how to walk, they don't have that balance. And all of a sudden, they get that lean. And you know that the whole kid, the kid's whole going the way the head's going, right? We've all seen this. It's been terrifying. It's one of the reasons why you want to wrap your kids up in bubble wrap, you know, and you wrap up your house in bubble wrap. Because when the head is heading in one direction, direction, the whole body leans that way. Now, that might be true when kids are, are really little, but also as kids start getting older, because we see what goes on that when kids, especially when they're not just first learning how to walk, but when they're in their three and four and five years old, where they're looking one way and they're walking another way, and you know that they're not going in a straight line because your head really leads your body in the place that it wants to go to. You get older, and then all of a sudden, you're maybe you're a teenager and you're playing sports. You know, and I remember when I was playing baseball, you had to look at what you wanted to throw at because if you were looking somewhere else, the ball would go in a different direction. See, in every situation, what you realize is that the head leads the body, and when there is some sort of a discrepancy between what the head wants, the body kind it gets immobilized. And, and, and I bring all this up, of course, because I'm not, uh, it's not surprising to any of us that there's an election that's going to be going on where the, you know, the president of the United States, there'll be uh, either, it'll be a second term of, of our current president or there'll be a new president going on. And again, it's the amount of money that gets spent and the amount of energy that gets put into who's going to be the president of the United States, the, the head of the nation, so to speak. And, and I bring all this up, of course, because in our Bibles, if we're going to understand who Jesus is, one of the things that is the most clear about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is is the head of the church. The church is the body of Jesus, and Jesus is meant to be, he is the head, and we have to make sure that we are connected 
to the head so that we can accomplish all the purposes and plans that God has for each one of us. And so we've been doing this series called Understanding Jesus, and we're really going to focus in today on Jesus being the head of the church. So if you can, open up in your Bibles with me, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 23. Colossians 2, the second half of Colossians chapter 2. So open up another browser window. If you have your physical Bible, go to Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, right in between the book of Philippians and the book of 1 Thessalonians. And I really want you to be able to read along. And as I've been saying all the way through this series, and I want to reiterate it again, I cannot do justice to these verses in some 30 or 35 minutes. Like I would love to, but it's, they're, they're so pregnant with meaning. There's so much to be able to pull out of these verses. And so I do really want to encourage you, as I've been encouraging you all the way along, is to take the text that we're looking at. And not only we're going to study it together now, but, but let it be your daily study. Meditate on those scriptures and really allow these verses to, to really speak into our hearts. And so Colossians chapter 2, picking up in verse 11, it says this. It says, in him, speaking of Jesus, You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and and sins and the circumcision of your flesh He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, which was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, Really what we learn here in these verses, and gosh, there's so much in it, is the reason that Jesus is the head of the church. Why? Because Jesus' work is finished. These verses teach us that the work that Jesus came to do, it's, it's a work that is finished. And in these verses, there's primarily three things that Jesus has done for the church. You'll notice in verses 11 and 12, there's this discussion of spiritual circumcision, and we're going to talk about it. It's kind of a strange phrase if you're new to the Bible. If you know the Bible, it it makes total sense, but oftentimes you hear spiritual circumcision. What are you talking about, Fusco? I'll explain it to you. So you get that in verses 11 and 12. In verses 13 and 14, we learn about the forgiveness of sins, which is an an important reality. And then in verse 15, we see Jesus' victory over the forces of evil. So Jesus' work at the cross has completed a spiritual circumcision, the forgiveness of sins, and then victory over all of the evil and spiritual forces that are at play. So now to unpack it, let's just jump in. It says, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, this idea of this circumcision made without hands brings us all the way back to the book of Genesis. If you remember when God called a man named Abram, in order to be set apart, they they did physical circumcision, which was the cutting away of the foreskin of the male genitalia. 
My advice is don't Google it, okay? Because someone would be like, man, what is it? Don't Google it. It's like you can imagine what it is. And the idea for Abraham was it was a cutting away that for which was unnecessary. It's cutting away of the flesh is really the idea of it. And, and when God gave Abraham circumcision as the sign of the covenant, uh, for all of the Jewish men, they were circumcised on the eighth day. The apostle Paul mentions that about his Jewish pedigree. And, and in the midst of, for the children of Israel, circumcision became this important sign. And really what you realize once you move into the prophets, that God is not interested in the circumcision of the actual body. God is interested in the circumcision of the heart. See, God doesn't just want us to have outward markings that we are his. God wants an internal work to be done. And the only way for God to do the circumcision of the heart, the removal of what is holding us back so that we can walk in full fellowship with God, was affected by Jesus on the cross. That's one of the things the cross is all about. It's this circumcision made without hands. It's a spiritual work. Notice, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so circumcision ultimately was meant to be a type and a picture of a spiritual work that God wanted to do in each one of us in Christ, where there's the putting off of the sin nature through the work that Jesus wants to do. And then Paul then ties this idea of this spiritual circumcision also to the picture of baptism. Buried with him, verse 12, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, you have to realize that for the Jewish people, baptism was by full immersion. And, and it has its Roots in the Hebrew, they called it a mikvah. So uh, when people were had been ceremonially unclean, there was these you know dunking stations almost. You have to realize, for a lot of this, we don't even realize. We we look back on these things like the mikvah, the dunking station, this cleansing station. This is before people had running water in their houses, before they had all their favorite bathing products. And you know, it's like in that culture, there wasn't like, hey, I just go take a shower. No, no, it's like running water was not was not there. So you would go, you'd bathe in in a river if you could find one, but the Jewish nation is primarily an arid climate. And so there wasn't even that. And so this idea when someone was ceremonially unclean, they would go into the mikvah and they would be cleansed so that they could be readmitted into the, into the fellowship of, of the spiritual community. And on top of that idea, now we have the idea of baptism where someone goes under the water just as you've been buried with Christ. Jesus died and was buried in the tomb. And then you're raised out of the water born again in newness of life, just the way Jesus came out of the tomb, right? And so this is the work that Jesus has come to do, to do the spiritual circumcision, us dying with Jesus and being raised with Jesus. But not only is Jesus interested in this spiritual circumcision, but notice the forgiveness of sins, verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, here's the deal. No matter what your background is, no matter where you've been, no matter what mistakes you've made, the reality is, is all of us have made mistakes. The Bible calls this 
committing sins. But the reason we commit sins is because we have a nature that left up to its own devices is going to always commit sins. They call it the sin nature. And really what you find is that the forgiveness of sins, Jesus knows who we are, where we've been, what we've done. And at the cross, Jesus affected the the prescription, the ability to be able to heal us of all the mistakes that we made. And, and I'll be honest with you, this is so powerful because for many of us, we walk through life carrying around shame, guilt, hurt because of mistakes that we've made. Like, you know, almost any of us, if I were to say, hey, listen, what was something that you really wish you could do over? You know, you know when you go golfing, you know, uh, some of you go golfing. I don't go golfing very much because I'm horrible at it. I figure if I'm going to go play golf, I might as well take as many swings as I can. But, I, you know, I always used to joke because, we, you, you know, you're coming off the tee box, you know, and, and invariably, you know, you end up shanking the ball. It goes wherever. And like, can I get a mulligan? Can I get a do-over again? I somewhat wish that there was mulligans in life. We can go back and just rewind the tape. Like, that didn't really happen. We'll do it again. But life isn't really like that because all of us have these areas where, like, I wish I would have done that differently. I can't believe I did that. And all of us have those. Now, don't get me wrong. We learn from the mistakes we make. That's a wonderful part of who God is and that, and that we can grow through these things. But for all of us, we've made mistakes. And for the sins that we've committed, we need forgiveness. And the forgiveness that we need was bought for us by Jesus on the cross in his own body. This is why Jesus is so important because his work is finished. I mean, think about Jesus on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 30 says it this way. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. How powerful is that? Now, earlier in John chapter 17, verse 4, when Jesus was, John 17, 4, when Jesus was praying to his father, he says, John 17, 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus, seeing what's going to happen next, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to finish that work, that work of spiritual circumcision, that work of the forgiveness of sins. And not only did Jesus forgive us of our sins, but Jesus also conquered all of the evil spiritual forces. Look at verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In what? In the cross. Now, the principalities and the powers were rankings of kind of the demonic realm. And Jesus disarmed the principalities of power. So he took away all their weapons and he made a public spectacle of them. Triumphing over them. in it. Now think about that because if you think about it from a different perspective, for the enemy of our soul, Satan, he thought that the cross he had won. It's like, this is where we win. The son of God is dead. It's over. There's no redemption. You know, and a lot of people say, I don't understand why Lucifer, who we call Satan, that this, this angel who fell and, and, and led a rebellion in the angelic realm, why is he so bent on hurting people? Well, guess what? Misery loves company. Satan wants us to be as miserable as he is. And so he's always, he's always inviting us along into, into what he wants to do. I always tell people that Satan can't do anything to us on his own. He only encourages us to do the things that we want to do naturally apart from the grace of God and the spirit of God. He simply encourages us to live in rebellion against God because he's in rebellion against God. And on that cross, Satan thought, finally, I've won. 
I got it done. But actually, according to the Apostle Paul, according to the word of God, that at the cross, Jesus made a public spectacle of disarming the principalities and powers because Jesus triumphed because the cross gives way to an empty tomb. See, you can never really talk about the cross of Jesus without remembering the resurrection of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus dealt with our sin problem, our shame problem. And through the resurrection, he dealt with our death problem. And when Jesus left that grave, having being risen from the grave, all bets are off and everything has changed now. So Jesus's work is finished. And because Jesus's work is finished, of course, what we're going to learn next is that Jesus is the head of the body. Jesus is the head of the body. Now you say, Fusco, where do you get this from? Look at verse 16 of Colossians chapter two. It says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. See, Jesus is the head of the body, and don't miss, Paul says that specifically right there you know at at verse 19 and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God now Paul is bringing up something that was very important to the church in Colossae because really what you find is that the church in Colossae was struggling because there was all these competing visions of what Christianity was supposed to be There was all these, what we commonly call heresies, these things that people were teaching as truth that aren't the truth of the gospel, but now people were getting confused. You have to realize, at this point in the life of the church, all they had was some of the letters that were being written around, but they didn't have the whole Bible, let alone all the gospels being written. Maybe they had Mark's gospel at this point when it's being written in in, about 60, 62 AD. And so they don't have the Bible to check. So all they're doing is they're following Jesus with the testimony of what they're hearing. And of course, in the early church, one of the big issues was well if you're a Christian do you need to be circumcised do you need to keep the Jewish law this it was what did Jesus do to the law now of course we know that Jesus said he did not come to destroy the law but he came to fulfill the law that was Jesus's plan to fulfill the law now the apostle Paul and I skipped over this because I knew I was going to bring it in in this part what we had just read in verse 14 of Colossians 2 said having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. See, the Bible teaches that we cannot fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled it for us. And because Jesus fulfilled the law for us, now we are not bound to try and keep all of the law. But in the early church, and you read this in the book of Acts, they didn't know what to do as the, as the non-Jewish people were saying yes to Jesus, who was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish Messiah. 
They would say, well, what do we need to do? And people would say, you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to do all this stuff. And then you can truly be a Christian. And the first half of the book of Acts is about this. It culminates in, in the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15, where they said, no, 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 no. God's grace is sufficient. You don't need to become Jewish to follow Jesus. And what's interesting is, is this is what's going on in the Gentile church in Colossae. And what's also fascinating is this also is going on still 2,000 years later today. There's not a season of life that goes by that in some segments of Christianity, there is some sort of rules that start to come up. There's like, this is what you have to do in order to really be a Christian. Notice what Paul says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. See, so, you know, whether someone's like, well, listen, you should only worship on this day of the week as opposed to this day of the week. Or they say, oh, no, 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 listen, we can't call him Jesus. We have to call him Yeshua, as, as if Jesus only answers to his Hebrew version of his name. Or you say, oh, no, no, listen, we have to do this festival or this thing, or, or now we have all of the, the, the conglomeration of American politics and Christianity. And people are like, no, 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 if you're really a Christian, you have to do this thing. Like, you can't be doing that, you know? And, and it's like, no. I would say, no, like, read your Bibles. Because the Bible teaches that Jesus is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. And you can't add anything to it. It's not like if you go to worship and gather together with your church family on a Sunday that Jesus is like, yeah, I don't accept that worship. As if when you go to Jesus on Friday morning, you're like, oh, Lord, I'm just praising you. are like, yeah, it's not the Sabbath. I can't receive that praise from you. Or it's like, you know, when you say, hey, Jesus, I need help. And he's like, well, I, I don't answer to Jesus. My name is just Yeshua HaMashiach because somebody realizes that Jesus, the Messiah in Hebrew is Yeshua HaMashiach. Or, or something else goes on. And people are like, no, no, you have to have your head covered or you have to have short hair. People come up with all these things. And it's like, no. All of these things are types and shadows and the substances of Jesus that when Jesus is here because he is real and the work is finished, you don't need all the rule keeping. So don't let anyone judge you in food or in drink or in Sabbath or in festivals. So it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes on, the, the stuff that rolls into the church. And people wanting to honor the Lord get sidetracked by it all. And it's so tragic because Jesus is sufficient and Jesus is more than enough. I mean, look at what Paul says in verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So anytime the focus becomes some sort of a rule keep, some sort of a, you need to do it this special way, and if you don't read this version of the Bible, you're not really a Christian, or whatever the stuff that comes up is, he says, people are getting cheated of their reward. reward. It's, it's taking delight in false humility. Because, you know, you can imagine the church in Colossae saying, like, no, 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 listen, listen. If you get circumcised, you're really humble. If you only worship on this day, you're really humble. If you choose not to eat the meat sacrifice, you're really humble. And then Paul's like, no, that's false humility. Jesus is 
In today's message, Pastor Daniel reminded you that there's not a list of extra things you need to do to be okay with God. The work that Jesus did on the cross is more than enough. He fulfilled the law for you. You can't add anything to it. This means that trying to tack on extra rules, things you should or shouldn't do, will just create false humility. There's nothing that you can do on your own to make you right with God. You need Jesus to stand in your place. So don't be cheated of your reward. Cling to the truth that He is more than enough. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more of how Jesus is the head of the church and how that affects your everyday life. Pastor Daniel will urge you to leave the rules behind and not add anything to the finished work of Jesus. You'll be encouraged to make following Him and Him alone your priority. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Understanding Jesus. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.